Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Charlie Arnott with Look East and the Center for Food Integrity, dedicated my career to keeping food trustworthy. And I'm Susan Schwally, president of the Food and Beverage Practice at the MPD Group, dedicated my career to understanding what, when, where, why, and how Americans eat and drink what they do. And I'm Kevin Ryan, your benevolent food scientist and founder of Malachite Strategy and Research. And I have developed innovation and strategy for dozens of CPG and retailers from General Mills to Amazon. Yeah, you're the Mr. You're the Mr. Rogers of the trio. I think that's the deal. <laughs> I'm going to keep benevolent, though. I like benevolent. Okay. I'm benevolent. And hey, we are the three squares dishing on the food industry. We talk to industry movers and shakers who are shaping the food industry and tackle today's top food topics as well. Ibrahim Bashir from A Dozen Cousins will be our special guest. But first, what's a good appetizer discussion? Hmm, Charlie, what do you like on the menu this week? So on the menu today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, trust. And the 2022 Edelman Trust Barometer is out recently, and we're going to talk about a handful of the top 10 findings from the 2022 research. Um, There's some really interesting findings from there, and I want to just raise some of those and talk a little bit about, about how they apply to the food system. Um, so number one, distrust is now society's default emotion. Sad, but I think true. If you look at all the polarized information that we receive, the algorithms that continue to reinforce the, our pre-existing beliefs and how divisive almost every topic has become in society, how does that apply to the food system? Yeah, it's interesting because for a while now we've been watching in particular the younger generations and how they define themselves via brand choice of brand is very, very personal to their own identity. So when a study um, like the Edelman Barometer comes out and says that Americans are looking to corporations for guidance and leadership on many areas, that is good and bad, right? Because it causes the companies to think about our CPG, their role, and what's the right thing to do. So uh, it's it's very interesting to me uh, that we've we've uh, pivoted this way. Kevin, what are you seeing? Well, I mean, I, it's not new. Uh, that's just it, is that the food industry has been dealing with this trust issue for years. Um, and it makes sense because food is so intimate. I think um, we're just now starting to see that kind of roll out across everything beyond food. Uh, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the um, extent of social media. I, I think what it is, is I think most people give companies the benefit of the doubt, unless given additional information. And the problem is, is that we just have access to so much additional information to raise doubt. Kevin's point about social media, I think it's just, you're dealing with a fragmentation, right? I mean, if all of a sudden consumers are looking to companies who they rely on and brands that they love and they think will do the right thing, then we're just going to have a lot of organizations going one direction and, and, you know, some going the other and fragmentation. Because people don't trust the government to get it done or be that tent pole, right? And I think that's what this Edelman barometer is saying. Consumers are like, I got to look to someone to solve this. 
I'm going to vote with my brand. So there are a couple other interesting findings here from the top 10 in the Edelman 2022 Trust Barometer. While business outscores government by 53 points on competency and 26 points on ethics, respondents believe business is not doing enough to address societal problems, including climate change, economic inequality, workforce reskilling, and trustworthy information. So we've talked about this before, uh, about with all these issues being so incredibly divisive, what does that mean, right? How do you find that tent pole issue that 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 brands can stand behind or 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 live with in order to to demonstrate their commitment to doing what's right as it relates to specific societal issues without alienating a significant part of their customer base? Companies have to be very careful about how they do that because if it doesn't connect back to who they are as a brand, then it's just going to seem disingenuous or that they're jumping on something. I mean, the big warning or consulting I give to clients always is think about yourself. Think about how you think about trust outside of your category, because that's usually we, we have no idea when we think about it from our own company perspective, our own brand perspective, but how much do you trust when you're trying to buy a car or how much do you trust when you're trying to buy something outside the food category? You base it on how you think about the brand first and whether or not it makes sense that they're connecting that particular issue outside of that. So uh, it just needs to be, it needs to all be connected. It needs to be a consistent brand narrative. Speaking of trust and how do you navigate, Dolly Parton has teamed up with Duncan Hines for a new line of cake mix. That is genius. I saw that. Who doesn't love Dolly? She has kind of had a renaissance recently, right? Is there anybody that doesn't like Dolly? I mean, I can't imagine anybody not liking Dolly Parton. Right. She loves cooking and she's from the South and she especially loves authentic mom and pop kind of cooking. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. She could run a whole seminar on how to be trustworthy. And to that end, uh, we're very fortunate today to have a dozen cousins, one of our more authentic brands that we've identified to be here to talk about their journey. Ibrahim Bashir, he's the founder and CEO of A Dozen Cousins, which is a natural food brand that makes convenient products that are inspired by traditional Creole, Caribbean, and Latin American dishes. Um, the whole line, and Ibrahim will tell us himself, uh, is inspired by his childhood growing up in the culinary melting pot of Brooklyn. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting him because I'm a big fan of the product. Didn't you buy a case of his product? I did. I did. I bought a, I bought a sampler case. It came with a dozen and they're terrific because they're just heat and eat. The flavor is fantastic. And uh, it really does reflect kind of that, that Afro-Caribbean blend. Did you just say that it, you, it comes as a dozen? Oh, it does. It does come in a dozen. That's very cool. <laughs> I think there are nine beans and three rices. It's pretty in cool. The, in the box. Did any of them go well with your smoke butt? Oh, the beans would be great with the smoke butt. I'm not a big fan of rice with the smoke butt, but the beans would be awesome with the butt. We should tell listeners about Charlie's smoke butt. Well, we'll have to do that on a separate episode because that 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 really is worthy of an entire episode because it is it is truly a national treasure. The butt that unites us. <laughs> <laughs> the butt that unites us. <laughs> okay, well, with that, we'll be talking to Ibrahim next. At General Mills, we know it's not just what we make, but how we make it that matters. We take care in selecting the ingredients behind our beloved brands, such as Cheerios, Nature Valley, Old El Paso, Haagen-Dazs, and Annie's. And we go further by working every day to alleviate hunger, slow climate change, and strengthen communities. Today, that's what it means to make food the world loves. Learn more at GeneralMills.com. 
Charlie and Susan, I'm really excited to introduce our guest for today, Ibrahim Basir. He's the founder and CEO of A Dozen Cousins. It's a natural food brand that makes convenient products inspired by traditional Creole, Caribbean, Latin American dishes. And prior to launching A Dozen Cousins, Ibrahim obtained his MBA from the Wharton School of Business and served as the marketing manager on a number of natural food brands, including Lara Bar and Annie's Organic. So, Ibrahim, thank you so much for, for, for coming in and talking to us. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate you guys having me. And I also have to say I've been a, a fan of Kevin's writing for many years. So I am I'm honored to be a guest here. I've been, you know, from a distance, just a big fan of A Dozen Cousins. And one of the things that I'm really interested in is that intersection of food and culture. That seems, as you know, to be a growing trend in CPG. So how do you find the right balance between food and culture? Yeah, first of all, thank you for the kind words about about the brand and the business. Um, you know, to be honest with you, we we seek no balance. You know, we, we lean all the way in when it comes to culture. You know, if you spend time on our Instagram, we spend just as much time talking about art, music, travel as we do talking about beans and rice. That was kind of the thesis when we started the business was that a lot of what was going on in the natural food world, even though I'm a fan of many of those brands, I spent many years working on them. They were divorced from the culture of many Americans, right? We're looking for even more ways to to tie into culture. And I think food culture and food content as it existed on Instagram, even like five years ago is so different than the way it looks and comes to life on TikTok, right? Where, you know, thousands of people are imitating the same recipes, tens of thousands of people in some cases, right? Like, um, it's just, it's a really cool and fun time to be working in food. Yeah, you're seeing a lot more new products, especially with entrepreneurs that are, you know, claiming the word authenticity. And I know that's kind of a loaded term in, in general, just the word authentic, but what does that mean to you? And how do you do it? You know, how do you do it within a brand? You know, our approach as a brand very simply is, to try to be true to my experience, the experience of the team, the experience of the people who are behind the business, right? I grew up in Brooklyn, um, in downtown Brooklyn, in really a black and Latino melting pot. You know what I mean? Like my mother's from the, the southern U.S. I'm African-American ethnically, but we have, you know, some of our flavors from the Caribbean, from Latin America, some recipes that my mother would exchange with her neighbors in the laundromat, right? Or my sister would learn from one of her classmates. I remember the first time I had empanadas in high school, it was like drugs, you know what I mean? I had never had it before, but it was it was great. And so I struggle a little bit because food in, by nature is like diffusive, you know what I mean? It goes from one place to another, it changes a little bit. You know, you think about um, tacos, you know, El Pastor, right? The way that those tacos are made is influenced by Middle Eastern um, travelers that came, um, you know, into, into Latin America and, you know, it looks like a shawarma if you've been to the Middle East. Right. And so it's like, can we now say that that taco isn't authentic or that, you know, I struggle a little bit with it as a, a, I study history as an undergrad. And so I, I fancy myself an amateur historian a little bit. Right. Like if you think about the history of food, I think you'd find places where people took something, adopted it, changed it, made it their own, et cetera. And so I struggle a little bit with the idea of like gatekeeping, you know, with that said, though, our approach is. Our team today is, you know, 80 percent black or Latino, 100 percent of our team comes from either minority or multi-ethnic background. And so we try to let everyone really weigh in. Right. Does the copy feel right? Does the flavor feel right? Um, Can we link this back to an experience we've seen out in the world? Right. Um, and, And always giving credit back to the origins, you know, something that I do take issue with is when, you know, people take a dish, change the name 
pretend that it's something different. You know, that kind of stuff, I think I have a slightly more negative reaction to. So, Ibrahim, I think uh, you, you, you touched on a number of interesting elements there. But I also wonder, do you think you're at a point in time where you're, you're in the right place with the right product in, in the right channels? I mean, help me understand the fuel and the opportunity for a dozen cousins that may not have existed 5, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, help me understand your business strategy and how you see that playing out. hundred percent. I feel blessed and fortunate around the timing of our business for a number of reasons. You know, to me, it was always about culture, shifting demographics in the U.S., changing attitudes towards healthy eating, changing attitudes around convenience, right? What does it mean to cook? I think COVID has been an accelerant for a lot of the underlying trends in our business as people are experimenting with different flavors, they're cooking more at home. Mm-hmm. Right now we're in we're in that period of, of just growth, right? Where it's like that's the tension of most growing brands and we're happy to embrace it, support it with the right brand building and kind of go go back and forth a little bit with that. I mean you're in growth mode and one of the other tensions that we see out there and have talked to entrepreneurs about is like how do you keep the authenticity? So far, it hasn't been a risk. You know, I think about the analogy of a person. It's very easy. You have a set of values, things that are important to you, and you keep those things uncompromised regardless of the environment you put yourself in. Things that are true of me when I was in Brooklyn, that were true when I was in college, that were true when I was, you know, a professional, and they they stay consistent. And other things can change. You know what I mean? My hairstyle, my wardrobe, you know, all that kind of stuff can evolve, but you have core values. And I think about a brand the same way. I've always hated this idea of like when a brand is in Walmart, for example, that they somehow sold out. It's like, look, this is, it's a retail channel. You know, they're, they don't control who you are as a business, how you operate, what you put in your products. That's on you to control. And so, you know, short answers is not something that I actually candidly that I worry about a lot because I know what's important to us. I know what's, what's central to the brand. And, you know, we just don't compromise on those things. Very cool. So as you think about that, tell me a little bit more about your, your strategy as it relates to selecting the right channels, right? I mean, You've got direct-to-consumer. That's how I've experienced you, but you've also got retail. How do you think about the channels that you're going to select and how you're going to pursue and what you're going to pursue? I try to be very consumer-centric about it, right? So if you think about the natural channel, that's a consumer that's very mission-driven. They have certain values around their food. They're willing to try new brands. They're willing to um, you know, take a chance on something, even if it's at a premium price point. Um, and then you kind of go from there. You think about conventional retail. It's a very different set of objectives. That's a more mainstream consumer. They're more price sensitive. That's a consumer that's generally trying to shop efficiently, right? I want to get in and get out and spend the least amount of money. And so you want to phase those accounts a little bit later in the growth cycle. And so you just think about it in that way. What is the purpose of this channel? So direct to consumer, those are people who, you know, they love the brand. They they are some of our most loyal consumers in terms of purchase frequency. And so, again, every channel has a different role. I'm just curious, the demographic you're um, reaching with with a dozen cousins. I mean, Charlie is clearly, you know, probably on the older end. It may not necessarily be true. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that for you, Charlie. First of all, in Charlie's defense, I'm sure he's, he's young at heart and not that old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to keep him on his toes. Yeah. You have all these different channels. You're reaching different folks. Brick and mortar as well as online are important. Do you see really different audiences or is there a pretty core group that um, you resonate with? You know, what I would say is for us, we're, we have about as far of a demographic span as you can get. Right. If you think about a consumer at Whole Foods who's buying our product and where thankfully we do well. And then a consumer at Walmart where we're also distributed. And, you know, thankfully the product is doing well there. And so pretty early on, candidly, I stopped thinking about demographics in our consumers and started thinking more 
psychographically. Okay. And when you think about it from that direction, it's they're very consistent, right? It's like they value authentic flavor experiences. They appreciate the culture and the history of our dishes. They seek convenience, right? But it's like when you focus on convenience and from pouch to plate in 30 seconds or 60 seconds, we're able to be very consistent in our messaging and our marketing without kind of looking like inauthentic or we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. Like we really play in all channels. I was in the industry when, you know, web 2.0 emerged, right? Kind of the social web, if you will. And, and the way that Facebook and Instagram and these apps disrupted, you know, television advertising. And I think looking back on it, the shift wasn't that big, right? Like you still kind of know where everyone is online and they're pretty easy to reach. And so like, you know, moving your money from Time Warner over to Facebook, it's a relatively small shift versus what I think will come this emerging, you know, obviously Web3 is the term that many people use to kind of talk about this cluster of decentralization. If we think about what that means, you know, from an underlying use of the internet, I think the, the desire for more consumer privacy and more decentralization, it will come into fruition in some way. There will be some world post Facebook, Google and Amazon. Right. And the question will be brand building and marketing. Right. Which is, OK, we have to shift our dollars from Facebook to where, right? Like, how do I reach these people? Things like email marketing and genuine community building, um, connect with consumers independent of some centralized like clearinghouse. I think if you go to any of our touch points, we're talking about the same things, convenience, culture, um, great ingredients. And that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, it's a great mix. Cause I mean, I, I like it. It is convenient. I mean, again, if anybody, anybody, should be able to prepare this, right? I mean, put it in the microwave, it's good to go. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I love the fact that you've tied in your mission with having a social impact. And like you said, you're all kind of living uh, this brand and, and what you feel about it. You know, it, it came it came about very organically. The social impact grant initially just started as a way to say, okay, there are some consumers that will reach with the product itself and that we can reach through brand building. But there's another set of consumers that we have to proactively try to impact outside of kind of the day to day business. And that's where the grant came to life. You know, the first grant we did was with a group called the Happy Kitchen, where they essentially were teaching these um, like culturally relevant cooking and nutrition classes, which I love because, you know, so, so often it's like the messaging is eat kale, drink water, be healthy, you know, and it's like, nobody wants to do that. If they did, they would already be done, you know? And so, yeah. And, I, and personally, I'm not sure kale is actually a food product. You know, Charlie, up until about 2000, the number one buyer of kale was Pizza Hut and it was for their salad bar. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, they like packed it into the, like between the dishes. Really? Right. In the ice. Remember? Right. My first job was working in a restaurant and it was a garnish. <laughs> it was, it was never to be eaten. Yeah. <laughs> put it on the plate because it was it was pretty and green and it was indestructible. <laughs> oh, we're upsetting so many people right now. Carly, Ibrahim might be coming out with a kale product. <laughs> yes, Ibrahim might have a kale product. Careful what you say. I'm happy to tap into the anti-kale. <laughs> I don't. I, you guys are safe. Don't worry about it. Well, you know, Ibrahim, I know that you're, you geek out about innovation and food like I do. And so I'm just curious, just want to pick your brain on innovation and product development as we go forward. What are you seeing on the horizon? Yeah, so I'll, say, I'll give one caveat before I share a few. Um, I'm always most intrigued by the things that are going to reach like the blue collar buyer. You know what I mean? So like I, there's a million trends every year and some of them I'm just like, who cares about this? Like, you know, some some number of people will do it and then it will fade away and that's kind of the end of it. And so I'm always looking at things that I think have like multi-year you know, steam, if you will. And that I think will kind of reach middle America or, you know, and I consider myself part of that, right? Like I'm not a high, highbrow eater. If it looks good and tastes good, I'm on board. So 
really intrigued by the reemergence of frozen food. You know, that's been a multi-year um, trajectory, I'll say, but I think also kind of a little accelerated by COVID in terms of people are just comfortable having a lot more food in their house. And I think people have come around to the idea that, hey, some of this stuff is actually pretty natural, pretty clean. You don't need a ton of preservatives, right? Like it's kind of na- nature's preservation, if you will. Um, just little sub pockets that I'm excited about. I'm excited about like the reemergence of like herbs and teas and, and that that area. They're just very intuitive in terms of health benefits. I think there's some cool beverages being built around herbs and, um, you know, this feeling of like, hey, I, maybe I don't need to get sick at all. You know, I haven't gotten sick in like two years. You know, I haven't even had a cold. And so it's like, you know, there's this feeling of now I can kind of protect myself and prevent some of this stuff. So so those are two areas that come to my mind. But um, I'm sure I'm sure there's some others if I think about it more deeply. Ibrahim, we likely have a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this that are right now trying to stand up a food business. I'm curious, like, what you would share with them. What are your ahas? If there's any kind of uh, advice you could share. Being comfortable with criticism and negative feedback. You know, there was one round that I raised that took me like 10 months, right? So imagine you're talking like 50 investors, right? Like to, to get on a Zoom meeting every day and have someone basically list out all the reasons why they don't think your idea is going to work and we're going to, you know, respectfully decline to invest. It doesn't matter how confident you are. It's not an enjoyable experience. You know what I mean? And so in the early days, it was like, man, what the heck am I, am I crazy? Am I, you know, am I missing something that they're seeing? And I think, you know, eventually, obviously I got to a point where I took it as in some ways, like a, a badge of honor, right? Where I was like, Hey, I see something that these people can't see. Right. Or I know something that they don't know. And, and once I was able to make that switch, it actually was, was very helpful for me. Um, and, you know, there's always a balance. Obviously, some some criticism is warranted and worth taking into account. And, and we did that at certain times. But I think getting that internal um, just strength and ability to kind of make it through, through negativity and be prepared for it, I think is important for young entrepreneurs. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a great, um, it's such a great inspiring story for everybody at any age or any stage when you're embarking something new. Well, Ibrahim, thank you very much. This has been fascinating. It really has been to talk with you, hear your story, hear your strategy, hear your, your thoughts about all that. So yeah, it is fascinating. Greatly appreciate your time. Thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Fun to talk to you. Kevin, what a great guest. Thank you for bringing Ibrahim on. I've always been impressed with him. Well, obviously a fan of a product, but I had no idea of the depth of his experience and expertise and his insight on cultural trends. And he's every food entrepreneur's dream. Yeah. And he has a classic CPG background, you know, based where he, where he came from. And then, you know, you look at the stress of, of doing this. Well, I, yeah, I think it was also interesting, too, because we, we talked a little bit about how he was in the right time at the right place. But then he was also very candid talking about how difficult it is. And if you think about it, right, I've got to do product development. I've got to raise capital. I've got to market. I've got to sell. I've got to manage the growing operation simultaneously as the entrepreneur trying to get this off the ground. And so, you know, it's not a matter of being in the right place at the right time. It's having the right strategy, being in the right place at the right time, and then just working like crazy to make it happen. No, I think that him seeing it uh, from a much more elevated perspective and the fact that it's also, I think, speaks to his focus. Right. Like he's he was like, you know what? I know I have an audience for this. But again, I mean, if you think about it, it, it it's a quality product. It's easy to prepare. It's got global flavors. Um, you know, it's just it's click. It's ticking all the right boxes. It is ticking all the right boxes. And it it's, you know, one of the number one questions I get from um, clients right now is about, you know, understanding the intersection of interest in food culture. I mean, he talked about um and, you know, and how to kind of capture some of that. And that's really interesting when it's coming from a very large food manufacturer um, in contrast to, you know, talking to Ibrahim, who, 
you know, has started this uh, just, you know, very organically from his own personal family experiences in the kitchen. I appreciated how he basically uses, um, you know, the internet and, 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 you know, digital life as a two-way street, not just a one-way street. That's kind of what I got from him. What I mean by that is, not only does he sell via you know DTC, but also I mean he he spoke of um, you know Internet 3.0. So using it as a way to inform, as a way to understand how you're going to market, how to how to get inspired, but then also how to sell product. I mean, I I really appreciate that more holistic approach to thinking about you know marketing 3.0. Uh, and sales 3.0. So to speak. No, it's interesting. It seems like the foundation and how he's built this, that it's scalable versus I'm thinking about if, if a product comes out and is just direct to consumer, you know, what is the life cycle of that kind of brand? It's probably they get to a point and then they've got to go get, someone needs to buy them, right? I mean, he, it's interesting because he's very startup, but he's got that foundation and has, you know, really captured multiple channels. Well, I mean, I think Charlie's probably gonna keep him afloat for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I have to order a combo. I have to order a carton. You should. I mean, they're they're awesome. I mean, just the variety pack is delicious. But the Cuban black beans. Should are the we best. point out that Ibrahim is didn't pay us to say any of this because he didn't? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Kevin, Susan, it is time for us to check the Squares inbox. Ooh, goody, goody. So if you would like to send us a question and have Kevin answer it, our resident food scientist and guru on all things food and science, uh, send it to threesquaresmail at gmail.com. That is the number three, squaresmail at gmail.com. Also, a good opportunity to mention that in addition to our great friends at General Mills who have sponsored, we are welcoming other sponsors. So if you would like to be a sponsor of Three Squares, uh, feel free to send us an email as well, or you can contact me or Susan or Kevin. We'll be happy to provide more details. Now, here is the question. Hi, Squares. I'm an adventurous eater and enjoy all things hot, sour, and flavorful. I was eating at a Chinese restaurant the other day and ate a dish that made my mouth numb. I could not feel my tongue. Interesting. I told my friends and they said I probably just had too many peppers. Is that true or something else going on? Thanks. Numb in New Mexico. So, Kevin, what's the answer for numb in New Mexico? Well, even though their friends don't believe them, I totally believe them. Uh, They probably ate... Have you guys ever heard of Szechuan peppercorns? No. You probably didn't grow up with them because they were actually illegal or kind of banned in the United States. Really? Uh, probably when we were kids. Why? Not because they were dangerous, but because they uh, they they could harbor a, a fungus uh, that they didn't want in the United States. But that's been cleared up. But Szechuan peppercorns are a really interesting uh, spice that you see in uh, in Asia. It creates a numbing sensation in the mouth. That's one way to think about it. Other way to think about it is it's actually uh, causes a small vibration in your mouth. Scientists have actually taken the resin from Szechuan peppercorns and rubbed it on people's lips. Don't you love this that scientists do this? Hmm. They rubbed it on people's lips and found that the sensation activates receptors that make it feel like uh, your your lips are vibrating at 50 hertz. What? <laughs> so that's what it feels like. What? Well, it's, okay. you know, it, it's it's a vibration. Well, okay, what, what a vibration is that? What's 50 hertz equivalent to something we would know? Do we know? Probably like an electric razor. So is it, where's it on the, what's it, Scoville? No, 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 it's not Scoville. Scale? It's not hot? Scoville, which another really interesting, Scoville too is really interesting because, you know, that was just Scoville 
uh, he just basically ground up peppers and fed it to grad students and said, how hot is that? (laughs) And he was like, on a scale of this, how hot is that? It's a little bit more technical now, but yes, no, it's not measured in Scoville. Uh, This is different because it's a totally different sensation. Uh, It's, it's literally is an anesthetic basically. Hmm. Literally an anesthetic. Now, what's interesting is there are more than if you've ever had like mapo tofu or something like that. It's that's common in 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 Chinese dishes, but you see it throughout the world. There's actually um, a plant. Sometimes it's called the toothache plant, uh, and are technically or not, I guess even botanically they're called buzz buttons. Uh, and then there's also I mean you you probably know cloves have this. Uh, as well, you know, back in the old days, they used to say to use clove mm-hmm. oil for toothaches, and that was for the anesthetic quality. So what I find interesting about this is, is, is that we're starting to explore new sensations beyond you know, sweet, salty, sour, bitter within the food industry. Because especially as we kind of lower people's you know, reliance on sugar or desire for sugar, kind of increasing different sour, you know, salty, or now potentially numbing. No. So I'm really interested in the whole idea of new sensations in food. Good question. Thank you for that. If you have a question you would like to ask our resident food scientist, Kevin Ryan, you can send that to three squares mail at gmail.com. That is the number, the numeral three squares mail at gmail.com. And we will be happy to address that, answer it in a future episode. And it doesn't even have to do with buzz buttons or vibrating peppers. Thanks again to General Mills for their support on this episode. And if you're interested in sponsoring us, please reach out to one of us or send us an email to three squares mail, M-A-I-L, at gmail.com because we want to keep the discussion going and hear from you. Did you think there's going to be confusion that people were sending to M-A-L-E? Yes. (laughs) It never hurts to spell. Three Squares, Dishing on the Food Industry is created and hosted by Charlie Arnott, Susan Schwally, and Kevin Ryan. Thanks to our producers, Dave Beesing and Jason Jackson at Sound That Brands. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And please give us a rating and review, especially if you like it. It helps to spread the word. So please tell your friends. We'll see you soon on Three Squares. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 